It could be something where your parents says, money's the root of all evil. And like, you're like, oh, you're three over. Oh, I guess so. And you adopt it. You know, the thing is, I, I always say is that your brain, we, we're not born with spyware. Mm. And these limiting beliefs that get inserted in us almost, right? It's like, we can't, unless you're really aware, you, you, don't have this, you don't have a natural protection against those limiting beliefs. Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose. I'm genuinely so grateful that you take out time, energy from your day to listen, learn, and grow. Remember, I'm trying to help you master self, work, and love. And every week, I invite guests that I think are going to help us uncover new solutions, think about new ideas, and push us towards deeper thought. And you know, what I'm like, I love bringing guests onto the show that are going to challenge the way we think, that have lived very different lives from me, that we can dive into and learn from their experiences. And today's guest is someone I'm really excited to have because I've been wanting to have this conversation for at least, I think about maybe nine years. So, so for me, it's a big moment to have this guest today sitting here at the podcast. And he is none other than the number one sales trainer in the world, the best-selling author of the iconic book, and of course, movie, The Wolf of Wall Street, and the new host of the Wolf's Den podcast, which I highly recommend you check out. Welcome, Jordan Belfort. Jordan, thank you so much for being My here. Pleasure. So I have a story to tell you. Let's hear when I was speaking about philosophy, science, spirituality, all of these things, when I got involved at the age of 18 in this world, so it's since the past 13 right. years, someone's video came across me. That video was yours. Oh. And I saw one of your videos where people had been glamorizing the life that you lived, mm -hmm. having seen The Wolf of Wall Street, read the book. Mm -hmm. And you in that interview, in the most humble, nice way, were talking about how you didn't want other people to go ahead and do the same. Right. Yeah. And I actually did a talk, which was based on the Wolf of Wall Street uh -huh. at a university in London, at the London School of Economics. Really? And I used clips from interviews by you to share this incredible point of how you had changed your views of success. Sure. Well, so I, anyway, I, I've been yeah. fascinated with you. Well, I think that, you know, the, the, the problem, not a problem, but the reality is, is that some of the stuff that, that I, that when you see it on screen, it's, it, they don't glamorize it. It's glamorous. It just is. And the problem is, is when you try to take something and, you know, you say, oh, it's glamorizing, you know, and, and blame Marty Scorsese. I think it takes away because I think there's a lot to learn. And, and as I said, I don't want people living that life. I, you know, I, I was young and I did it at the time. It made sense to me then because people do crazy things, right? But um, I, I think that on most levels, when kids, and I'm really for young people, right? They, they watch the movie I think most people get it. I real. I think the vast majority say, "Wow, I love some of the stuff, the camaraderie. I love the the money he made, the entrepreneurial spirit. Right, training the salesman. All these kids coming from nothing." And I think they're smart enough to know that you know, I I'd love to have that that thrill, but I don't want to go into the pub where people lose money or people lose their 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 souls for a while. Seriously, where you know, with all the drugs, I mean, that was you know, disastrous for my life. Right. Um, so I, I, it bothers me sometimes. I think when, like, I when I think the the new the media almost makes it amplifies that by trying to condemn it rather than taking it for what it really is, which is hey, here's what you know. There's really good and there's really bad. Like in most things, the yin and the yang, right? So yeah, I mean, I I feel a responsibility. No, I do because you know I don't want people that are in the teens and twenties like I want to be like that's it's not what you want to do. But there's a lot to be learned from it. Absolutely. No, yeah. I completely agree. And I want to go back to the beginning. I was reading somewhere that you actually set out to want to be a dentist, which I thought, which I know my, a lot of my friends back in London who are dentists right now are going to be inspired yeah. by your story. Tell me how that was an aspiration and then how it's changed. So basically it wasn't that I wanted to be a dentist. I wanted to be rich. I, right. I always wanted to be rich. I did. I came from a poor family, not, not very poor, but lower middle class. Right. And my, I had a, my uncle was a dentist and he had a lot of money. My mother, since I was two years old, sitting in the high chair, she's like spoon feeding me applesauce. Like, and she's like, the only no way to wealth is you got to be a doctor or a dentist. Like, it's like freaking hypnosis, right? Yeah. So it's like, it's like, it's like they insert that belief in you. You know, I'm sure, you know, the belief systems, right? So you're hearing that. So when I was 20 years old, graduating from college, if you would have asked me what I wanted to do, I'd say, I want to be rich for a living. It wasn't like I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, like most young people. So I said, well, if I go to medical school, it's a very good student. So I go to medical school. It's 10 more years, I'll go crazy. I said, you know, I'll be a dentist four more years. I'll be Dr. Belfort, right? 
and it'll all be good. So I, you know, I apply, I get in. It's my first day of dental school. It's the Baltimore College of Dental Surgery in Maryland, right? So the dean stands up. He's like this white-haired guy, white jacket, very dental-looking. I go, wow, that's a dentist, right? I'm looking around the audience, 100 kids. Everyone's pretty bright-eyed and bushed. I'm like, okay, so far, so good. So the dean's like, you know, welcome to the Baltimore College of Dental Surgery. You'd be proud to be here. Dentistry is an amazing profession and blah, blah, blah. Okay, he goes, but let me say this. The golden age of dentistry is over. If you're here to make a lot of money, you're probably in the wrong place. I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, I said, excuse me. I got up and I walked out the first day. <laughs> Your I, first day? Yeah, I dropped out wow. the first day. I dropped out and I, I couldn't bear to tell my mom, you know? So I was like, oh my. She's like, how's school? I'm like, oh, it's pretty good. <laughs> and then finally my money ran. I had to go back home. That's how I ended up getting into the world of sales and ultimately Wall Street, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Like story, you know? Yeah, no, I get that. I, I grew up, I always say this, I grew up having three choices, to be a doctor, a lawyer, or a failure. Yeah, right. To my family and extended family, and those were my three very, options. Very, very similar to my family. Yeah, exactly. that's, and, and same, I came from that lower middle class background. And my brother's well. a lawyer, my mother's a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, so many, all my cousins are doctors, right. literally every single one of them. Maybe one's a pharmacist, but that was the culture. The black sheep of the family. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. How did you find that when you were breaking out to do something different? And I don't want to go into the, the goal yet, but just your process where you saw people, lawyers around you, but you were breaking away from that. Mm. Was that something that was easy to do for you because your goal was so set or was it difficult at first to say? Oh, no, no. It was, it was something that was always part of me. In other words, from a really young age, I was one of those sort of those kids that had the lemonade stand. At the age of eight, I was knocking on doors with a paper out, expanding my paper out. At the age of 10, I used to shovel driveways after snowstorms in New York, make 20 bucks a pop. At 12, I saw David Copperfield on TV and said, I want to be a magician. I started doing children's parties. And then I actually hit it really big at 16. I started selling ices blanket to blanket on a massive beach called Jones Beach in New York, right? So I went there and I started making about two, three, four hundred $400 per day. This is, in the, this is in the 70s, yeah, in the 70s, wow. which is like over a thousand a day now. And that changed my life. Once I started making that, and I had a lot of money as a kid, in my, my, my teens, I linked up in my mind, you know, I had this belief because I watched my parents struggle. You know, I, I, they're brilliant people, right? Hardworking, educated, and broke. I'm like, wait a second. I'm like, what's, what's missing from this picture? I'm like, why would two hardworking people, wildly educated, right? Um, with career, like you know, with degree, why would they not make money? And, and I saw a couple of things that I thought really were instrumental. Number one was the uh, sort of, a, uh, you know, no, no risk-taking. They were risk-averse, completely depression-era mentality. That was number one. Number two, they thought that things like sales and persuasion and marketing were inherently evil. There was something mm -hmm. wrong with it. So because of that, they never tried to market their skills or sell them to other people. So they worked for other people for a paycheck. And, that, and then also they would never, they even bought a, never bought a home. Mm. They want, they just, it was very depression era and they were wonderful, amazing parents. So I saw those things. And I think what happens with most people is that you grow up and you, you see your parents' beliefs, either you adopt them mm. or you go the exact opposite way. Mm. I went the exact opposite way and always did. So it was not a leap that it was like, just, it was a, actually a blip to go to dental school, but I, it was mostly out of confusion. I think, and I, you know, I was like, I, I liked, I also, cause always a girl involved, right? So my, oh, okay. it's always a girl. So there's always something about it. I can trace back to every mistake I made to a girl some five years old. I have a scar on my, my forehead here from my, where a girl was chasing me. I ran to a brick wall. And I was, so it's always been that. Yeah. <laughs> they were chasing so, me. You know, it got worse over time. You know? Right. And now I finally got the best woman in the world my about for the last 11 years. And my life's infinitely better because of it. Right. That's amazing. But, um, but no, it's no serious. My girlfriend, she was still in, um, in DC. I was like, Oh, I'll be near her <laughs> for one day, you know? And we broke up, of course, right after I graduated. So. No way. I love that. What, why do you think it is, those two things you brought up, why do you think it is that we have this inherent belief that sales, persuasion, negotiation, marketing are evil? Like, where does that come from? I think there's, first of all, there was, if you go back to the 60s, especially, right? It's a time when there was this sort of counterculture was coming of age in the, in like the hippie mark in the, you know, if you go back like Mad Men, perfect example. Did you watch Mad, you watched the Yeah, yeah. Remember how there was always this like, oh, you're an ad guy. It was like, it was a, so back in the sixties, ah. right? Remember that? So that was pretty accurate. And in my, it was always like, oh, it's like the lowest thing. You're an ad guy. You're, you know, what do you do? You manipulate people. Right. And, and I, I think the world has evolved somewhat right now. And, but that was a big part. My parents, you know, I don't know if you have, do you have door-to-door -door salesmen in London? 
We do have, yeah, yeah. They all, right, come well, on. yeah. all right, so, yeah, okay, yeah. so in, a lot in New York, when the door-to-door salesman would knock on my door, it was like, get out the shotguns to fill a brush man. They want, my parents hated salespeople, yeah, you know? Yeah. And I, and I, my mother thought there was something, my mother's very, um, not, not that she's spiritual, because she's not, she's religious a little bit, but it's more, more about customs and, and natural spirituality. But I, my mother is something about, in her mind, it's, Sales and marketing is related with being shallow and not depth. And, and, and the problem with that is that selling something and, it, and the product itself having depth are not mutually exclusive. Mm. In other words, you could advertise and sell an amazing product that gives people great benefits and amazing value, and then it's congruent, it's an awesome thing. Or you can use that as in a deceptive way to sell things that have no value and little benefit. So yet in her mind, she'd Linked it up as a blanket. And, and I think that in any aspect of life, whether it's sales, and any belief you have about money, um, life, love, extremes are never really good because the truth usually always lies somewhere in the middle, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think in this case, that was really what it was. Yeah. And how many times have you found that? Because I think it's often those perceptions or those stereotypes are based on someone having had a bad experience. Well, so always a, right? uh, well, <laughs> so it's either, so either you had the experience or your friend did. Someone told you about the experience. You saw it, you heard it. So, you know, we develop beliefs, you know, we, you know, it, either we experience it ourselves. We could, it could be something where your parents says money is the root of all evil. And like, you're like, Oh, you're three Oh, I guess so. And you adopt it. You know, the thing is, I, I always say is that your brain, we, we're not born with spyware. Mm. And, these limiting beliefs that get inserted in us almost, right? It's like, we can't, unless you're really aware, you know, you don't have this, you don't have a natural protection against those limiting beliefs. Cause what happens is very often is you'll do, you'll take an action, right? And the action doesn't get you a good result. especially when you're young. Cause you know, you don't have the strategies yet. You don't have the wherewithal, right? Maybe you were in a disempowered state at the time where you're not, you know, so you get a bad result. So what happens is you get a bad result and then that's the result. What does that really mean? Well, a result only has meaning based on the language that we apply to it. So you apply meaning to a result and you can say, okay, I tried something and I failed. What's the meaning of that? The meaning is I, I'm terrible at that. I should never do that. That felt bad. So, cause when you have a negative result, it feels bad. So what ends up happening is, is if you typically will fall into a disempowered emotional state, like you'll feel negativity, fear, right? Self-loathing, right? And then you'll say like for me, with art, artistry, drawing, when I was in kindergarten, I tried to draw a bowl of fruit and, and, and all the kids are out and the teacher, Mrs. Roskin, is like, you know, she, <laughs> I still remember her name, right? She's the girl. I look at the, uh-oh, like the girl drew this beautiful bowl and mine was looked like it was someone sneezed on the paper. <laughs> so Mrs. Roskin, she goes, oh, Lisa, what a beautiful picture. Lisa is such a budding Van Gogh. Then she looks at me, she goes, Jordan, you just knock in every, you're just going to be good in math and science. Like, uh, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> and, that, and that's, and just like that, right? I feel bad. So what does it do? Next time I go to draw, I get nervous or you don't typically do things you're not naturally good at. So you, your potential gets cut off. Like you're, we're all born on day one. I believe most of us with, you know, unless obviously we'll have, listen, everyone's got certain natural born talents, but generally speaking, we're born with this amazing pure potential. And then we start taking actions and based on the results we get, if we get a good result, we said, Oh wow, that feels good. Let me practice that. Let me do it more. Let me learn a strategy. You get it. And it's a self-reinforcing loop that turns you into something that's you're proficient at something and, and you get great at it. And if you get a bad result, Right. It's the opposite. So I think that's a lot of it, you know? Absolutely. And having been someone who's, you know, when I, when I look at your life and your journey, you've been in parts of your life where there are things that you have deep substance in and you're sharing them. Mm. And we also see plenty of people online today who aren't necessarily selling things that they're genuinely experts in or learning. And so you see that again too. And I mean, you even see the worst, like, I just want to address this for my podcast audience the amount of people that have fake Jay Shetty profiles right now oh, and are trying was, to scam my audience. And I'm sure you've I, experienced I, that I, for I, saw, I got this thing. I, I actually emailed Mark Cuban about it because I got some, someone goes, hey, check, yeah, I know this is not you. You need to address this. Mm. It was someone, I couldn't believe, they wrote an article on Facebook and it was saying that Jordan Belfort just got out of Shark Tank with Mark Cuban. They went partners on a new currency trading system and everyone's, and it was a whole thing with send your money here to invest. And I'm like, what does so I email Mark? Mark, you didn't go, dude, I don't know. It's crazy shit going on, right? So, so basically, you know, you're right. I mean, it's very yeah. annoying, you know? Yeah, and I, exactly. I, wow, I can't count the number of, I guess it's going to be some very, it's verified and not, but still, it's, it's still oh, unfortunate. And this is my thing. Like, I feel total compassion to people who have to even 
want to dupe people like that? Like, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what's even more, I think, problematic. It's not so much the Jay Shetty fake profiles. I think people will quickly know who's Jay Shetty and who's not, right? And I think that's less true people who, when you cross over a certain point, people know who you are, right? The problem is, is the people who are not Jay Shetty, but who are teaching things pertaining to have the same knowledge and wisdom as a Jay Shetty, but haven't done the work, haven't lived the life, and aren't authentic about it, and they're regurgitating something they read in the book, and they really don't have a basis for what they do. So they give a watered-down, typically self-serving version that's designed to sell people products. Mm. And that's destructive. And I hate that. Like with you know, all these free webinars, attend the free webinar, and, and it's like designed just to separate people from their money. I mean, that's the really destructive part is they, they'll, they'll latch on to you and, and they'll target, like, for instance, okay, you go to Facebook, custom audience, everyone who likes Jay Shetty. So I you, know that. And so you know, that. oh, that people are interested in self-help, <laughs> right? And then they'll target with a sort of a watered down bogus self-serving message that results in ultimately them sending them $10,000 to go through the, through the, the, and Shetty Master Course. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the even worse, I think. You know? Yeah, right. That frustrates me because I'm in sales training and there's so many terrible, oh my God, and they're just like, and they, they're, they're expert at marketing, yes. not at sales training. Yeah. And they use that, you know? Exactly. What have you learned? Like you've gone from that, that journey of you saying, I want to be rich. Like, you know, I want to be rich when I grow up. That's, that's the deadline to having gone from having everything, mm, yeah. having nothing, mm. building it all back up again. Like, tell me, where in that journey was there any fulfillment or a, a period of like, yeah, this, you know, I've, I've, I've done something now. And where was the journey of okay, growth? So what I will tell you is so interesting. So I, you know, we very quick, before we started, you, we quickly told your story, right? Yeah. And I was laughing because, you know, you, I said, I said, what motivated you to go? You said, well, I saw my friends that were rich investment banks and most of them miserable. That was me. <laughs> oh, seriously, when I was flying high, and this is what I, this is what I try to say about, you know, the glamorizing, the drug use, you know, happy people don't do 20 quaaludes a day and snort enough cocaine to do a ski jump off of you. It's like, it's not a happy person, right? Mm. Um, if I could go back in time, I would, I would definitely eliminate that from my life. I would, because I can't look back at one experience that was enhanced by it. I wouldn't, so I, let me rephrase that. I wouldn't change anything I did like that because it's my life and it, it brought me to where I am now. I don't look stupid to live, but if I could whisper in my young self, see, I'd say, slow down. It's not a great way to live, right? I'm thankful I'm still alive. Um, but I, I think for me, um, I didn't do what you did. You, you made, you took, you know, it's like that old movie where like, you know, Mr. Destiny, where you, you went left, I went right. I did pursue Wall Street and I think it's very easy to lose your soul there. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's something that's wrong with Wall Street per se, as much as the idea that on Wall Street, you're not building typically or creating things. You're trading off the ingenuity of others. And so there's, when you're done as a broker, or an investment banker, what do you have to show for it other than money falls out of the bottom of it? So the money has no meaning to it. So in order to give the money meaning, you try to buy things to have value, tangible value to what's an intangible number in your bank account. So you have this almost compulsion to buy things. So in the beginning, you feel, let me buy a big house. I th oh, wow, it feels good for two weeks. Let me buy a second house. They buy a yacht, a plane, right? And you get in this material trip. And then you, next thing you know, you're on that treadmill where you almost can't go back from that because you're now supporting a lifestyle you've grown accustomed to, right? And on top of that, then the, even worse than that is the fact that I think many people, and I was like this, so I can only speak for myself, but many people, I believed, I went into, I left my adolescence and came into adulthood very insecure mm -hmm. with a lot of um, um, wounds from my adolescence and insecurities. And, but I always said to myself, I know it's okay that I, I don't feel good inside. I don't feel whole, but once I get rich, then I'll feel great. Mm. But then I got rich mm. and I felt exactly the same. And that's when panic sets in. Mm. See, it, you see this a lot with, it's my, my own theory at least, that a lot of these like young stars that blow up, they go yeah. crazy. Why? Because when you're chasing success, and you don't feel good inside. You're like, okay, I, I, I shouldn't feel good inside because I'm, I'm going, going after something I don't have yet. When I get there, then I'll feel good. Mm -hmm. So you can rationalize out saying, I, I'm, I'm not confident right now. I'm not happy. I don't feel whole, but I'm not, I'm struggling. I shouldn't, right? And then you become more famous than you believed and more. And then you're like, uh-oh, 
I'm still the same guy, just with more money. And that's when panic sets in. So what do you do? Let me take a pill to feel better because mm-hmm. I can't feel like this anymore. I don't like, and that's the disaster of it. I think that, that happened to me. Yeah. And, and what happened was that once it starts, just then talk about self-fulfilling cycles, right? You know, so it fed on itself and it fed on itself. And, and I had some talents and I invented a way of training salespeople. And, and it was beautiful in the beginning and it got so corrupt. So I can honestly say to you, I was never happy. I was never truly, I had happy moments. Mm. I had fun. I had a great time. I was never genuinely happy. Mm. Um, of course, like the day my daughter was born, I was happy and could never be happy and love. And they're not, again, I'll use the word again, mutually exclusive. They're not. Sure. Like you, you can have these things you love and, and adore, but not, I never felt whole, so to speak, right? Mm. I don't think I really ever felt whole until I lost all my money, went to jail, came out and met my current wife. Wow. And I learned more from her um, because she lived more like you. And she's this amazing woman, um, very much like your lifestyle. She was, you know, she was beautiful. She could have had anything. She could have any guy. And she's single mom. And she just and came from a wealthy family. She took and she lived a very austere life and stayed true to her values. And you could agree with her values or not, but it was true to her. Mm. And, and she had all insecurities too, like everybody else. But I, I, from her, and there was a sort of trust and mutual respect that. It, it, it allowed me, and I already made a shift. You know, I don't think it's, it's always a series of shifts. Of course. Right. And, but, but that was the, the final nail in the coffin for me of, of coming the person I, I try to be today and feel congruent with is that um, I just first, I finally felt like I truly was happy, had someone that understood me and that would never uh, let me down. Like we could fight, but that would, you know, a, a real partner in life, a soulmate, so to speak. Wow. That's beautiful, man. Thank yeah. you for sharing. I'm lo- and Thank I'm lucky, you know, because yeah. uh, I had a lot of women that, that, um, you know, like I, you know, I probably went to the wrong type of woman, you know, the, the old pickaxe in the shovel, like looking for prospecting for gold, you know, like yeah. and the gold, right? And, I, you know, and, I was, and again, it might've been fun, but, um, and I think when you, wow, it's, you know, it's always saying the things that make sense when you're 25 don't make sense when you're 55. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing so openly as well. I love that. I love hearing that because I think it's so important to hear it from someone who's genuinely been through it all, which is, which is phenomenal. Like, you know, like you said, like your experience is so powerful because you've experienced it all. When we're hearing from you, we're actually hearing from someone who's been there, done that at extremes. And that actually helps a lot more people Mm. in the middle. I think, I think what, you know, it's funny because it even helps me when I hear other people and I'm like, I felt just like that. Yeah. It helps me. Yes. So I think, I'll, and that's, I think it's a gift I can give people because I have a high profile around the world, especially with young people, is that say, wow, I mean, he looked like he was, I thought he was so confident. Mm. I thought he was so happy. I was never confident. Mm. I never was. I was always, I was, and it wasn't like I was covering up for it. I was just moving forward, trying yes. to just, yeah. I was trying I to ignore, that. I was most, it wasn't like I was covering up. For it. I was just moving forward, trying to make everything okay always. And I had talents that, that allowed it to appear. You, you get it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, totally. And, I get it. And then also because I think because of all the money I made, it allowed me to get away with things. In other words, I could, most people would have hit bottom long before me. I had too many handlers around. And if I fell asleep in a bush, cause if I was on five loot, someone picked me up and bring me home and put me into bed. If I, you know, was scuba diving and decided to take my tank off cause I was so high. Someone said, put your tank back on. Like, you know what I'm saying? So all those things that, and thankfully I'm alive. Right. But you know, again, while I was going through it, there was, there was a lot of self-loathing the whole way mm. and not anymore. Which is, yeah. by the I can way, tell. Yeah. I don't so feel that way. way. It's such yeah. a great way to live, you know? Yeah. And tell me what that was. What was it about that that whole experience of going to jail, getting broke, coming out, meeting your wife, which you spoke so beautifully about, which I want to dive into because my audience loves hearing about relationships yeah. too. But what was it about that newfound confidence? Where was that now coming from, that newfound growth that you talked so about? So I, I think part of it was that in my own mind, I'm, I, I have a very... I have a very logical, so we always have this logic and emotion. We all have those two minds going on, right? Mm. I'm, I'm very, I'm a dominant logical thinker and my emotion comes from accident because by default, because you have to have it. It happens automatically, right? But for me, in my mind, I was so dead set when I got out of jail that I am never going to make a mistake like this again. I'm never going to use the skills I have for, for evil purposes mm. and I'm going to do it right. I'm not going to cut any corners. I'm going to play the long game. I'm never going to embarrass my children again, who I love more than anything. And I had such conviction of belief. When I left jail, there was no way that I was ever going to get in trouble. No way. It was, there was no amount of money. 
and I would cut a corner for him. Nothing I would do. I would never, I had this like this belief now that was so, okay, that I'll never make a dollar by stepping on someone else. Unless I'm giving more value than I'm getting back, I'm just not going. And, and, and I've stayed true to that from the day I left jail because I had the government look at my asshole with a microscope. I'll tell you that much because they, they say, how is this guy making so much money? And as you know, I'm still here. Like, no, you know, because I, I never like, I've never let, cheated on dime my taxes, everything. So, so, which was the opposite. I was the guy that, I wasn't like trying to, to lose people, but it was like, it wasn't my main value. My value was let me make money. My value, whatever it takes. my value shift shifted to let me give people value because I know I'm a great businessman and I can monetize that value. And that's what the purpose of a business is. So having that core belief was the foundation for everything that came after it. Mm. And then that attracted into my life, amazing people. Because when that's the belief you have, you attract people like that because you move yourself into situations. My wife would never tolerate the old me. She fell in love with the new me, the guy that she saw the pain I felt about the mistakes I made, the, 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 the remorse I had. And, and she saw how hard I worked. You know, that, you know, that, you know, I wasn't having a car, a ghostwriter. I taught myself to write, which I think probably was the linchpin of, of you know, because she was a skeptical, rightfully so at <laughs> the beginning, but you know, that she knew that I was doing the work. Right. And, and I think that was the real part of it. And from there, all amazing things grew. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of my favorite ways of saying it is, you know, Peter Diamandis talks about, we should redefine the word billionaire to be someone who impacts the lives of a billion people. There you go. And it's natural when you- I impact- love him, by the way. Huh? I love you. He's great. Yeah, yeah, he's awesome. And it's like, when you impact the lives of a billion people, you, you naturally attract that. So exactly. that's awesome. I love that. And I want to dive into you about relationships because you have, you have three children. I have three. Three, yeah. Three children, which is amazing. It's beautiful to hear about your amazing relationship with your wife. What have been the key things that you've taught each other? What do you believe your wife's taught you and added to your life? And what have you given back in value? One thing, I would say the thing about my wife is her authentic self. <laughs> She's just like, she is her authentic self. And it could drive me crazy sometimes. I don't agree with everything. It's her authentic self. But I, the respect you have to have to someone who's her authentic self, that's one thing, okay? Yeah, I love that. And, Our wives have to meet. My wife's like that too. Yeah. And you know, we, we've had also, we had the, we have the reverse of most people. We spent the first three years killing each other mm. and then went into a, a state of long-term bliss. Mm. We, so most people like this, this honeymoon, the first, we were the opposite. We had this mass, I had massive mistrust because women had left me after I, you know, my, my wife had walked out when I lost my money and, and, and she has her own side of the story. Right. But whatever it is, my story is my story. Right. My, 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 my belief about it. And, um, and, her in her life, her parents had not really, let's say they, they had not, uh, they had not done right by her story to tell, but in her mind, she'd like not grown up in a household that was not, didn't exude warmth, didn't accept of who she was. She's a very spiritual person. You know, she's very much into the, uh, like she would do what you did. Like she would be a person that would spend three years in robes. That's yeah. her. And she'd <laughs> like, if I gave her the chance, I'll go right now and spend three years. That's her, right? And her parents, her father was uh, like the you know general counsel for for Bank America or something. Like that. You know, she grew up in that sort of family. It was very formal. Where she was, you know, um, her and her sister with these two little blondes. They had to sit upright and eat with their pinkies out like that. You know, I was like a savage compared to her. You know what I'm saying? She's like, and she's and by the way, she still can't shake that stuff because wow. it's so ingrained in her with the way she was raised with her manners and stuff like that, right? But the, the interesting thing with her is it's just I. It was the respect I had for her. That as a, a beautiful woman who was really smart, her highest value is I'm going to raise an amazing son. Mm-hmm. I'm going to raise a, a, a man and, and nothing's going to end. It's not about money. It's about another man. I'm just going to do it myself with her own resilience. And her son now is my son, okay, Bowen. And he works, he's my partner, my con. He's amazing. I have, a, I have my own son who's like works with me full time. And like he runs all the, you know, because I'm too old for social media. <laughs> like he, he does stuff. I'm like, what are you doing with that? He goes, I don't trust me. People I'm like, nah, come on, no one wants it. And everyone wants, I don't get it, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, um, so it's an amazing gift. And my own two kids, my, my natural, right? They're all like just best. They just all love each other. And they, it's a, it's so, that was the big lesson, I think, you know, with, with that, in that relationship was it, being authentic. Yes. It's like, I always felt like when I wrote my first book and I think, I think why people connected with it, I always kept saying, I, I had this like narrative that was like, I felt like an actor on the stage in my own life. Yeah. Like I'm doing what people think Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street should be doing, not what I want to be doing. Or, mm-hmm. And it's a terrible way. That's like, not even a terrible way to live, but it's just not, it's not, it's not um, a, a sustainable way to live. Yeah, absolutely. You know? It's like method acting. Yeah, exactly. It's literally like method you acting. You got it. 
you're playing Put another on a brave role. Face, yeah. And now after playing that role, you've convinced yourself you are that role. Exactly. So you actually forget that you were right. playing a role in the first place. I was like, oh, Daniel Day-Lewis on steroids. Basically. Exactly, yeah, yeah, Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah, yeah. He's absolutely. the best. Uh, yeah, he's really good at it. Well, you seem like it was yeah. a movie that come Gangs, Gangs in New York. York. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. And the he kind of scare himself, efforts but... he goes through to believe that that's I him. Know. I know. It sticks. And I love hearing that about your wife because anyone who follows my wife's on social media too. And she was she was my first guest on the podcast when we started. And you know, it's like my wife, but the only the woman that drives me crazy, my wife, is that she's so smart. She gets so much to offer, but she's very, she's not like me. She's she's behind the scenes. She's my partner in my business. She runs a lot of the company, but she's like the power behind the scenes. And I'm I'm trying to push her to go out. My son's trying to push her. And she like talk about, but it's not her thing. She's but. playing her role. I know, she's, but yeah. She's playing we'll her role. We'll get her out of here one yeah, of these yeah, days. Yeah, absolutely. Don't get her on. You'd love, I mean, you'd love her. She's amazing. Oh, that's awesome. Maybe she it. could explain to you how she like came to accept me. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. <laughs> my wife had to do something similar too. So I get that. I, I would love to dive into that. Tell me how you've, what I love about you is that we're sitting here, you come across super genuine, super happy, you know, you're, you're a real human being. And my big thing with that is that you've had the courage to redefine who you are. Right. And I think all of us go through failures in life, but the extreme of the rock bottom and lows that you've mm. hit in your life and to, to kind of emerge from that must have taken a lot. And, and tell know, us about that, like how you've risen through failure is yeah. very rare. Yeah, so on some level, there's, there's two sides to this. On one side of the equation, um, in terms of my ethics and my value, and ethics and integrity, not integrity, ethics, <laughs> ethics, I was raised to be ethical. Hmm. I didn't have to discover newfound ethics as, after jail. I was raised well. My parents were the most honest, legit people in the world. Um, I was not sent out into the world to do things like, you know, that weren't ethical, right? So that part was easy for me. I was raised to have ethics, but integrity, no. Meaning, meaning that not to be true to myself and to have that confidence to put my best self out there. Just, I'm okay with how I act, right? So this, the ethics side was definitely there. I think the biggest, the shift for me, what really allowed me to do it and made it almost effortless is that, you know, people don't, people, I think it's about values, and, you know, what we value and the un underlying things like beliefs um, are these things. And it's, it's, they're all part and parcel with each other, right? So people typically don't change the order of their values very easily. Like we value, like back in the day, my number one value was money, significance, recognition, success, Right. You know, like that, those are my, and then, you know, family, you know, and right. And, and, um, you know, giving back well way beneath that. Right. And as human beings, we will always, not even really, we, we try to hit our values. Those are our targets we're aiming for. We base, we base our vision on those, our vision for the future is that based on the underlying values we have. And people don't change values unless something disastrous happens. Mm. or you can spend years in therapy. So you can, there's ways you do it. You can do it through intense therapy and so we're, doing, we're really working on yourself and really, but not like really doing it. Or you could blow up like I did where you mm. blow out and you lose everything. Say, whoa, I'm like, I lost my entire life. I've been a re-exam, and then almost it happens naturally where you're like, you're shocked into re-examining. And once your values make a shift, I'm like it's like, Whoa, like I had it wrong. And then everything changes. Every, the, your unconscious mind's so powerful that once the, the underlying root shifts, everything that is built, it all rearranges itself automatically, right? So I think that was the shift. It was a shift in values and it made everything in my beliefs. And I think my beliefs weren't, weren't really that, that corrupt as much. I had the wrong values. I think that was really right. the big problem. Yeah, no, that makes so much sense. And I always feel that, that if we don't willingly uproot our negative values, or the values that are driving us crazy will be forced to you, uproot them in a different way. What, what right? happens, exactly. well, you know, you can either do it yourself proactively. Or can, I, I got lucky because I had it done for me. I, you know, I had one FBI agent. He was a friend of mine now. I love the guy. We're friends. We speak all no the time. No way. Oh, yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Great guy. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm friends with the prosecutor, the FBI agent. But really with the FBI agent. I, I love the prosecutor too. He's a wonderful guy. Um, and, you know, thank God. Because if I would have just gone, I probably would have died. But also I would have never had the living this life that I have 
today. And, you know, and I, I want to make it clear, like, you know, say, oh, look, I guess maybe crime pays. <laughs> Guys, let me just tell you flat out, okay? It, if you want to do what I did so you can write a book, it's a real long shot. Like, <laughs> I, like I never thought I'd finish my book. Better yet, you know, and the only reason, you know, I tricked myself into finishing my book. You know, I finished my book is by when I got out of jail, I wrote like 10 pages in my, in my, I had a guy who was, I sent him to an agent. He's like, oh my God, they're great. I was like, really? So I, you know, I did, I went to my daughter who was very close with them. I'm like, guess what? Daddy's going to write a bestseller. She's like, really? So I, I used the power of my love for my daughter and my son. Because once I told them about it, all right, I put, I, I couldn't let them down. So I tapped into my own, the love, and it was out of love, you know, to, I really, it, it, so much of it was about making my children proud again, to show them that their dad could do it right. Now, and, and there's, this, there's such power when, in that. Like when you, that's really, you know, I talk about like, you know, really knowing your why. Like mm-hmm. when I was in jail, like I was able to learn to write because I closed my eyes and I'd imagine the faces of my children. Yeah. And in that, there's like the power of that. You'll always do more for someone that you love unconditionally a cause you truly believe in. And once you could tap into that, mm. the, the power that can, you can muster as a result is almost unlimited. It's limitless, basically. Yeah, so absolutely. that was the secret. I love that. And that was actually one of the things that boosted our service as monks. When we became monks, we believed the whole world was our family. Yeah. So when you have that visualization and meditation, that is just so energizing to you because now you can live for others truly. And one thing you brought about there, which I'm really glad you mentioned, was around how you can't manufacture your journey to make it marketing. Like that doesn't work like that. And that, I think that's a really important point. And, to so, and, and you know, it's so, cause it's, I hate what the press does. Sometimes. They'll try to like twist something to fit a narrative. Like, and then people will read that and say, Hmm, maybe that, you know, maybe crime, say, oh, crime doesn't pay, but people will say, maybe it, it's so stupid because yeah. like, you know, it's the longest of law. Yeah, let me do it. And then, then lean onto the Cabrio play me. It'll be on the, wow. Be not, I mean, good Lord. And you know, it's like the whole thing. It's like a one in a billion shot. Right. Yeah. And, the truth is there's so many better ways to make money than write a book. <laughs> you probably know you've written some books, right? No, no, no. I'm actually writing my first one right now. You never written no, you gotta it write comes a book. At, it's, it's yeah, fun. yeah, yeah. It's not right. I'm writing I wrote right them myself, now. which is really yeah. a pain in the butt. Me, but I'm working. I'm spending about four hours a day on it right now. Yeah. Every day, right? Um, I am the slowest writer in the world. I am really <laughs> terrible at it. But, you know, I think the product ends up being readable, but the process is ugly. I'll, yeah. I'll look at a word like better... Better still, no, even better. <laughs> better now, but no. And I'll sit there for like 15 minutes yeah. on one, two. My wife's like, she's like, your broken record hit me. She goes, better still. I'm like, okay. And I, it's like really, it's I love it. But yeah. it's a good process, right? Because the process is so, like right now I'm, when I'm writing my book, I'm going through all my belief systems and I have to recheck them and reprove them to myself. And it's just giving me so much more profound realization. So it's a good point. So yeah. I think also when I left, it's a good point because I, I think also what changed me and then maybe what's what allowed, sealed in many things to me was writing my book was like the, the most incredible form of self-therapy. I was like, yeah, whoa, because looking at, because, you know, you start peeling back the layers and I'm trying to understand myself mm. and I'm like, oh my God. And I start to really got this crystal clear understanding of what things drove me and sort of the progression of things. And, and like, um, I, I definitely emerged from that experience feeling that I had a much, I don't know if I had changed or not, but I had a much greater understanding into the demons that drove me. I really did. That's amazing. Did you have people, this is what blows my mind the most is, did you have people, mentors, coaches, who could see and were able to share this with you? Like you're doing for so many people now, like right now, what you're sharing here, I guarantee you there are people listening and watching right now who can change their ways because they've sure. listened to this podcast. Did you have people? The problem like is, yeah, the problem is it's a very different time. Right. Um, the, there was no access to information like this, which is, which is why podcasts and just the internet itself can be such an amazing tool. Um, cause now you almost have to, you know, shame on you yeah. if you don't seek out the right information because it's all out there for the taking, but that thing you had to go to the public library or go to yeah. seminars and so much bogusness out there. Right. So for, for me, um, I had some mentors. The problem was, and it was, it was I had a talent for training salespeople mm. and it's such a monetizable skill set that everybody wanted, like it was, was pulling from me. And I was like, so people will just, it was almost like, like people would come to me and they just would try to grab a piece of the pie. Mm-hmm. And I was all too happy to, cause it made me feel good to have such successful people. Like, cause of my 
holes I had. You understand? You get it? Like, sure. oh, wow, look at this guy. He's a freaking criminal. I shouldn't let this guy near me, but he's a famous guy. And I, it's so, so you get it. So I, I, what happens is you track, I guess, is that so you, you track people into your life based on what you're doing? Mm-hmm. You track the wrong mentors when you're on that journey I was on. So wow. it's, it's like almost a self fulfilling prophecy mm-hmm. that when the seed is a little bit corrupt, you can't be half pregnant when it comes to ethics. It just every, I'm, I believe that over time, things tend to mostly become an exaggeration of themselves. Yes. They, they become more, everyone's message becomes more. If you look at someone's message today, look at Donald Trump um, 35 years ago. You see a sober guy with similar beliefs, but saying them in a very different way where you're like, okay, wow, it's just pretty mellow. And everyone's like, wow, bravo. And now you see someone that many people find to be offensive. You could love my hand, but of course, over time, it just be- it becomes more and more mm. of what he is, mm. okay? So even if the core message is actually pure, I believe anything that comes at extreme starts to take on negative overtones. You know? Yeah, I love what you just brought up there because fame and money will always open up doors, sometimes quicker than values. Mm. Yeah. How do we make sure we don't buy into our own hype? Because when fame and money opens doors and you have them, how do you make sure you don't buy into that? Because that's in effect a, a massive hurdling and stumbling block. So it's easy to tell you someone how and really hard them to follow it. Totally. So the easy way is your friends who were your friends before you were successful are, are going to be the friends who were there after the trip is over. The people that come on along the way, you'll be lucky if one of them is really actually your friend. Mm-hmm. The problem is those people are really good at their professional ingratiators and hangers honors. And it's really, really difficult for people. So it's like, I can't, I'd be lying if I said there was just some surefire away as much as, listen, the easy answer is, you know, use your eyes, your ears and your, your common sense. And just remember that, you know, that you are still the same person as before. So all these people who are in love with the material side or the fame side of your journey, they're not real friends. They're just not. Sometimes you find a great one along the way who's just surely has great motives, but most of the time they're not like that. So it's typically about focusing on people that you knew beforehand, not attracting the, that is all those on the way up people. They're like just re- using really, really toxic. And like I, a friend of mine passed away, right? Um, but I, guy in the Hollywood, I was Doug Ellen, right? And very successful producer with um, 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 movies and TV series, right? Anyway, um, so what his oldest friend, like, they were friends since they were five and he was still his best friend. He, had, he did Entourage, Doug, right? Yeah. So yeah. like, and you, and you saw that and he, Doug was a whole guy, you know, and his best friend was still the guy from his five. So I, I think it's really, really uh, an important thing. My best friends are still from when I was a kid, young. You know? <laughs> That's amazing, man. How did you turn that, relationship with the FBI into a friendship. How did that happen? Um, so what happened was, is, um, he, that I, sounds like an old- I had tremendous respect for him. So, so, you know, I deserved to get caught, yeah. you know, for what I was doing and he played it straight. He didn't entrap me. I had no, I wasn't like, I, I'm like, I was like the only guilty man in Shawshank. You know, so like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I was guilty. I was like, all right, you know, I go to jail. I made a mistake. Let me do my time and come out a better human being for that. Yeah. My life's not over. I want to rebuild. Right. Um, and he recognized I think he, what he really recognized is that he, he understood me and he knew that I wasn't a bad person, that good people do bad things. And especially the prosecutor, Dan Alonzo, who's now a very well-respected lawyer. Um, he rose up, he rose up really high in justice, but at my sentencing, Dan Alonzo, he was, he was, they, they, they come and go U.S. attorneys, right? But he, he actually was already gone from my case, but he actually came back from my sentencing in front of the judge and he stood up and said, your honor, I've never said this before. This is the only guy I've ever worked with that actually gets it. Wow. And you can read this in my sentencing transcript. He goes, this guy gets it. He's not going to get in trouble. He goes, maybe I'm crazy and Pollyanna, but I am telling you, this guy totally understands what happened, what went wrong, and he's going to be a productive member of society. And I think Agent Coleman is his real name, felt the same way. And when I first got out, you know, we just, I had a respect, but then he watched me grow and he was like, I guess he was probably very skeptical in the earliest. And he's like, he goes, dude, I'm not, he goes, you just are what you are. I'm really yeah. proud of you because you're just, not in like in, in, in a condescending way, but man, you know, good for you. Yeah. And also I wrote about him very fondly in the book because he was an honest, hardworking guy who was doing his job. It was not like, he wasn't like, you know, 
you know, planting evidence. And like, well, how could I hate the guy? You know, yeah. he was yeah. right. I was wrong. He did his work. And, uh, and, uh, and I'm glad I made him famous because now he's on the speaking tour. He makes a lot of money. So good for him. He's a great speaker and he's oh, going to wow. have a great journey as well. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Tell me about the, why you think the straight line system has been so successful, especially now, because based on your value proposition of yeah. giving more value. Well, I think for sure that the, my, it's funny, I had a limiting belief about it. And I was like, oh, sales. I actually almost thought selling was evil or, or the straight line was, was so, it's so powerful when you really can, you know, use a, a system of persuasion at a high level. Like the straight line is a very powerful system. And I was like, oh, maybe people misuse it. And I saw that. Now it seems so ridiculous because it's like, a, it's like anything, any powerful thing that could be used for good or evil, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the reason why it's so effective is that it's, it, it focuses, it, it, there's really no other end to, I've never seen another one where it's like an end-to-end system that like, it just takes you from the moment you open up your mouth to the last second, even then, and then after, and also shows you that, that it focuses on three forms of communication. The words that you say, the tonality that you use, and the body language that applies to it in person, right? And it puts that into a construct that um, allows any person to manage a situation of influence the way a natural born clothes would see. There's people who are natural born salespeople. I, I think you are one, by the way, or close to it, maybe, but very good, solid communicator, right? But most people aren't. They struggle with that. And what happens, I was an re- amazingly natural born salesperson. And I was able to break down my strategy of what I was doing. And because I had to, because I had kids that were not that smart, really, very unsophisticated kids. And I tasked them with calling the richest people in America and they couldn't do it. So it's, you know, I had this other system before that and you never know how good a system is until you stress it to the point of fracture. So my old system just collapsed. It wouldn't work. And then I had a panic. I was like, what do I do? And then and I, just, no, I had this idea about like, um, I said, wait a second, you know, to me, every sale is the same. It was so easy to sell. Like, because I'm, my own mind, I was lining things up almost arithmetically and logically. And, and as soon as I came up with this idea, guys, it's a straight line, watch. And then just like, you read the book, Thinking Grow Rich. Mm-hmm. They talk about this like collective unconscious. Like I tapped into like the all that there is mm-hmm. basically. And I almost felt like when I invented it, it was like over a period of like 30 days. I felt like I was channeling. I really, I never felt like that. I had so much, inf- I never thought of these things before. And, and when I was done with it, it was like the impact it had on these kids' lives. It created a whole, I mean, unfortunately went the wrong way because I was out of my mind and because mm-hmm. my values. So what happened was as a perfect example of a bankrupt values, incredible strategy that goes in a bad direction. Yeah. But beautiful values, amazing strategy. You could do, I'm doing more good now than I have imagined. I get emails every day. All the people like you changed my life. It's like the greatest thing ever. Yeah, right. Absolutely, I couldn't agree with. So you I think more. that's what it really is: is that it's, it, it takes what's the truth about communication, yes, and it puts it in a way that anyone can use it. Yeah, yeah. and I love that because everything's given meaning by how we use it. Totally right. Technology is not good or bad. Social media is not good or bad. Inherently, it can be used for something higher or lower. As are the experiences. It's always about the meaning you apply, right? Mm. In other words, you, so you take something that's 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 you know benign and malevolent based on how you use it. An experience could debilitate you or be your biggest learning experience in the world based on the meaning you apply to it. It's always about the meaning and the intent, right? And I, and I think that for me, uh, I've put out like over the last what was it, 12, 13 years, so much positive intention out into the world. Like I never, I've not made one action. Not that you always succeed at it. I've tried, maybe I've had gave you the bad speeches sometimes or didn't, but I've never not tried Mm. Every action I took on was pure from, from the start. I was like, I'm going to make, if I do this, I can make extra money off somewhere. I never did that once, you mm. know? And yeah. I think that's a great way to live. And you make 100%. more money and you make even more money by doing that. That's, 100%. that's the sick part. You make I've, even more. I've always believed intentions, everything. When people say to me, like, what do you think's worked for you? What hasn't? I'm like, I started with a simple intention that I really, really wanted to help people. Right. And I never believed that it would be big or small or any of that. I didn't, I didn't even have a strategy when I started. All I knew is that, I had this deep desire and intention and I started with that. And then I got more strategic and organized right. and focused. So I, I think that, you know, the, the important thing and I, I, with a lot of people say, like, you're a very spiritual guy. I'm not really, I'm not really. I, I think I'm, I'm probably more than I give myself credit for. Probably right? a bit, yeah. <laughs> but I, I just, I'm so anchored in science and rational thinking. Oh, I me too. Up, you know, yeah. so, but I think what happens with a lot of people is they, is they will, will look at a, a Jay Shetty or the secret and they, and they miss part of the equation. See, everything about the power of intention and manifestation and attraction, it's all true. It's one, I know it's true. I've seen it in my own life, right? 
but it requires the integration of strategy 100%. and also action. So, you know, like remember, the, and you probably had this in England, right? Where you, you learn about magnetism and the teacher in your third grade class says, oh, this is a magnet, it's a horseshoe magnet. And this is iron filings and watch, nothing happens. And then she moves the filings closer, nothing happens, nothing happens. But if they get close enough, whoosh, you see the law. So like the way the law of attraction and manifestation is, is you set an intention and that alerts you to what's the, uh, and then you move towards what you want and then you can attract 100%. It. So there's gotta be action on the intention. 100%. And so when, like, as you said, then once you start that, then you had strategy and, and you move towards what, and that's, I think is the secret to success. Absolutely. I love that, man. Jordan, this has been awesome. We end every interview, the final five, which is our final five rapid fire, quick fire rounds. So these are quick answers, easy for you. So the first question I wanted to ask you is, what is the worst financial decision you ever made? The worst financial decision? Marrying my second wife. Oh, really? <laughs> That's going to be the best. <laughs> second question. What is the best financial decision you ever made? Marrying my third wife. <laughs> okay, nice. I like it. Uh, third question. What is the worst advice you ever received? Think about it. Oh, don't worry. Everyone's doing it. Take this bag of half a million dollars. Everyone on Wall Street does that. That was my first ethical lapse. Someone said oh, to me, oh, it's all everyone does this. I'm like, really? No. Nah, okay, fine. Taking the first step over the line. Well, I love that. Question number four is, what is the best advice you've ever received? Best advice ever received? Um, good things take time. Okay. Delay your gratification. That's such a huge one. If there's one thing I tell everyone here, uh, guys, I was, please, you don't have to make everything tomorrow. Delay your gratification. It's better and you make more. I love that. And out of all the experiences that you've had in the world, what is one experience you think you haven't had yet? Because you've had so many different experiences. What is a new thing? I haven't seen my children have children yet. I can't wait to have grandchildren. I'm okay. looking, and I'm getting close now because my daughter, I think, is hopefully maybe we'll get married soon. And then uh, I can't wait to have grandchildren because I'm going to spoil them rotten. <laughs> I can't wait to have grandchildren, you know? Yeah. That's beautiful, man. Jordan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. My man. pleasure. It's a pleasure having you here. Guys, go and check out Jordan Buffett's new podcast, The Wolf's Den. It literally launched. Uh, a couple of days ago. So make sure you go and subscribe and check out the podcast. It's going to be awesome. Jordan, tell us some of the guests that you've gone lined up or topics and themes no, that you've got lined up for really, the podcast. You know, it's really, a, it's a combination of just business, interesting people. I had, I had like some really famous people and also just average everyday people. And I think one of the great things is because I'm pretty well known. I don't have to always have famous people. Mm. I, I think average people have so much to share. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be just, and, and funny and fun and lighthearted and, a little bit irreverent, but not too irreverent, but a little bit irreverent because I'm irreverent. It has to be, you know? That's awesome, man. I love that. Everyone, thank you so much for watching and listening to today's podcast. Make sure you've subscribed. If you haven't subscribed, make sure you rate and review as well. I'm so grateful to have you as a part of this community. And one thing I always say to you is, after the podcast, share your insights on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. Anything that you learned, anything I said, anything Jordan said that stood out to you, share it. I'm always looking out for the best comments. I'm always looking out for the best posts and I repost a lot of them too. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you again next week. Thank Great. you, man. Thanks so much, bro. Thank you.